Don Luca, smoke you like my hookah Pump fake right, then I step back in illusion That's a boss move maneuver, billionaire entrepreneur Mark Cuban on the viewer, put you rookies on a skewer I stay shitting on you boys like I came up from the sewer Used to have a lot of dollars, now I got a lot fewer What you saying to me? I hope you save it for me I'm about to kill the game, and I put it in my testimony Alright, welcome to the Mainstream Mass Podcast. This is your host, Will. I'm joined here by my co-host, Jaren. What is up, guys? Today, we are going to be getting into the Mavericks 113-111 to loss to the Pelicans last night. The Pelicans were without Herbert Jones, Zion Williamson, and Brandon Ingram. Arguably, their best three players, but the Mavericks still fell to the Pelicans uh, amidst a lot of interior defensive struggles and some questionable decisions by... Head coach Jason Kidd, as some Mass fans would, uh, I guess, clamor on Twitter about. Um, there, Jason Kidd, obviously not in the hot seat by any means, but Mavericks fans are not happy about the rotations through three games. But it is only three games, so you know we won't overreact too much. But we will definitely be divulging all into that. The Mavericks also did not get too many contributions from their role players outside of Spencer Dinwiddie, Luka Doncic, and Christian Wood last night, who basically accumulated for almost all the Mavericks points. So we will be getting into that. And, of course, JaVale McGee's um, interior defensive struggles, as we mentioned with the interior defensive struggles, it was primarily JaVale McGee who was at fault there. He had um, quite a rough showing. And Tim Hardaway, or not Tim Hardaway Jr., he, didn't, he did not play in this game. The Mavericks were out without Tim Hardaway Jr., Frank Nitlakina, and Davis Bertons. But Dorian Finney-Smith and Reggie Bullock did play in this game. They had some sub, uh, kind of a subpar night as well. So we'll be getting into their games and just the Mavericks, um, I guess, lack of firepower on this night. We'll just be divulging all into that. But before we do that, here's an ad from our sponsor, Anchor. All right, so quick note before we get into the actual podcast. Upon looking back, we actually didn't even talk about the last possession at all. Of course, we were too heated in the moment. We were too, we were too, too heated on the Mavericks players. So we just wanted to get into that a little bit. And then the next segment will be the actual podcast regarding the whole game. But of course, you know, the Mavericks, you know, it was back and forth throughout the whole fourth quarter until the Mavericks lost the lead after being up seven in the fourth quarter at one point. Um, what were your thoughts on, you know, obviously the Mavericks fouled Devontae Graham. He went to the line, missed one of two free throws. Mavericks get the rebound. Timeout, 2.9 seconds left. This is after Luca chose to take a layup instead of trying to go for a three with um, – and he made a layup with about four seconds left. You can argue that, but at the end of the day, it ended up voting well for the Mavericks because Devontae Graham missed one of his free throws. So with 2.9 seconds left, you know, I don't want to overanalyze the last play. That's why I think we failed to get into it in our main uh, segment of the podcast. But I think that, you know, the Mavericks need to have some diversification in terms of what they're doing in the last um, portion of the game, because we've seen time and time again, since Jason Kidd's been the head coach of this game, it's just give the ball to Luca and he jacks up a step back three from the left wing. Now, while I do love Luca. And, you know, I'll take my chances with Luka Magic, you know, if I have to, like, just, like, at least do some sort of action. There was, like, no movement whatsoever. It just seemed like the most dead out-of-bounds play I'd ever seen. It was just Luka running till he got the ball, essentially. Um, just just try to create some sort of action to at least maybe get us in a position to where we actually have, like, some sort of, like, decent look because – you know, I love Luca and his step back threes. Don't get me wrong, but he, he was going two for 13 from three on the night. Like, isn't there, do you, in your opinion, Jaron, do you think there's some validity from the standpoint that the Mavericks could have at least got maybe drew, um, drew something up to get Luca a better look? Um, they didn't have Christian Wood on the floor at all, which is kind of questionable. I mean, there were, they just seemed like there was no sort of like contingency, like plan Bs or anything like that. It was just give Luca the ball and get out of the way, which, you know, it seemed like the Pelicans were just keyed in on it from the beginning, which, I mean, I know you know, he, he at least got a shot up, but it was a really tough going sideways, step back three, 35 seconds left, which I'm not saying Luka can't make, but, you know, if, if that's all you do every game, I mean, teams do watch tape. Like, you can't just only do that in the waning moments of the game. Yeah, teams, whenever they especially know, you know, it's probably going to be a close game. We see this. We see this team four times a season. Like, there's going to be a close game. They're going to watch They've tape. They've had two close games already. Yeah, two close games already. They're going to watch tape on what we do that last possession 
And I, I, I through, through the two seasons that we've seen Jason Kidd, it seems like every last possession has been the same play where it's that left wing, step back, Luca three. Um, and last night I think was kind of eye-opening. You know, the Suns game, you couldn't really put too much to it because we had zero timeouts and just seven seconds left on the clock. Right. Um, but with this game especially, you know, you had a timeout, you call it, you advance the ball, and what do you draw up? You draw up three guys standing down low, doing nothing, uh, just to create three-point line space. And you have Dorian standing basically where Luca's trying to take the three, just standing there, doing nothing, watching the ball. Like, and you don't have Christian Wood on the floor. Christian Wood went three or three from the three-point line. Like, there's a lot of things that was that really went wrong in the the huddle. Like, it started from the huddle. I don't think the play, or I don't think Luca like Luca did all he could there. Like, I'm not blaming this on Luca. I'm not blaming this on anybody on the court. Like, we had the wrong personnel out there, and clearly a wrong play. Whenever three guys are standing down low doing absolutely nothing. Yeah, unless, the, unless there was some specific play to get Maxi like a spot up corner three, like there's no reason that you have him in there over Christian Wood, who actually might be able to create something a little better. We've seen Christian Wood hit a bank in game winner in Houston. He has a little bit of a clutch factor to him. Um, so I don't know. It just made no sense. Like if you're going to just do five out, just like let one guy try and win it for you. Like I get it. It's only 2.9 seconds. I'm not saying the Mavs had some sort of godsend play saved up, but at least just try running some sort of action. Uh, you like, I don't want to read too much into it because it's the last play of the game. And we're going to go ahead and in this next segment and get into the reasons why the Mavericks actually lost this game. But, you know, there's definitely credence to the fact that the Mavericks could have done something a little more reasonable in that last position. Yeah. It's, it's a little frustrating. All right, Jaren. So getting into it, we're going to go ahead and go straight into Jason Kidd's rotation slash adjustment slash adjustment. Oh my God. Adjustments. Sorry, a little mishap on my part. But anyways, regarding Jason Kidd's adjustments in this game and his rotations, particularly in the fourth quarter, what do you think went wrong for the Mavericks? Uh, I mean, defensively, it seems like everything kind of went wrong. Um, there, there's like one, and it was a pretty long period of time where I, I want to say it was about six minutes maybe in the whole entire fourth quarter where – CJ McCollum was playing. I think he played the whole entire fourth quarter. He may have been checked in with like eight minutes left. Um, and Maxi Kleber was basically playing main ball handler defense on CJ McCollum all night long, or not all night, but all fourth quarter long. Whenever Reggie Bullock, who I think on this team is really considered like the main ball handler defender, uh, was guarding Devontae Graham and not taking away from Devontae Graham here. I mean, he's, I think he's a decent attributor to that team. He's a really good shooter, um, playmaking, you can argue. Um, but whenever you have your best ball player on a guy who didn't even touch the ball outside of shooting two threes in the fourth quarter, that just makes no sense to me. You, you should have, and this should be no thought in your head. Like Max is a really good defender. And as you, we said this before, or as you said this before the podcast started, you know, Maxie's, uh, what do you call it? Like, I guess a good part about his defense is he can be guarded up or he can be switched onto these ball handler guys who can dribble at the top of the floor. And like, that's a treat that really no other team really has, but being the main ball handler uh, or being the main defender on ball handlers, like that just doesn't make any sense to me whenever you have Reggie Bullock on the floor. And really that was really frustrating. Um, I guess like as we go through the fourth quarter more, like there was a lot more questionable decisions, checking um, Christian Wood out with a minute 30 left and then not subbing him back in with 2.8 seconds left for that final shot. There's just a lot of things that, I think kind of went wrong and honestly like the Mavericks deserve to lose this game especially after that atrocious really all game uh defensively it kind of picked up in the second half but all game it 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 was just really really bad to watch um and especially in that fourth quarter you know I think they only scored 26 points in the fourth quarter um but still those 26 points were just really bad to watch they were really easy um and yeah I mean like I said like I just don't understand why Reggie Bullock isn't on CJ McCollum in that time. Yeah, I think one of my else, one of my gripes with that specifically is the fact that Maxi was even in the game um, when the Pelicans have two ball handlers in Devontae Graham and CJ McCollum. And I get writing the hot hand with Maxi. Maxi did have a really good tonight, a really good night rota- rotationally, defensively. I thought he rotated really well. He got a couple um, weak side blocks. Or I think he was maybe only accredited for one, but he had at least like three that I counted. So I honestly thought Maxi played a really good game. And 
you know, he played his role on offense. That's really all you can ask of him. He was spotting up, he drained a three. So really nothing. And he was offensive. He had a couple of really good offensive rebounds in the fourth quarter. So from that perspective, this is not something that I'm blaming on Maxi. Um, he should not have been in the position to where the Mavericks in the, at that stint, juncture in the game where you were referencing the only positive defensive players. And I guess unless you're con considering Christian Wood one, just the way that he's opened up the season. But the lineup, I believe, at that juncture was Christian Wood, Luca, Reggie, Maxi, and and Spencer Dinwiddie. So I guess from yeah, you're only looking at really two plus defenders if you want to call them that. And at that point, I guess it kind of forces you to put Maxi on one of those primary creators. But you know, as much as I do love Maxi's perimeter defense and spurts, he is he's a bigger guy, and you can't expect him to do that over the course of a whole quarter. He's going to get tired out. He can do that when he has to get switched on to one of those guys for a possession, stay in front of them. But I mean. Spencer, sure, he's not particularly like a plus defender, but if you're going to run a lineup like that, like, you know, I'll take my chances with Spencer defending Devon, uh, Devontae Graham or, you know, even, well, yeah, I mean, I guess just Spencer because I wouldn't put Luke on him. I, I would take my chances with Spencer defending him just from the standpoint that he's at least quicker and Spencer has actually not played terribly to start this year defensively. I mean, obviously, he's typically seen as a guy who doesn't give too much effort on defense. But, I mean, I think he's bought into the Mavs defensive scheme to an extent since he's been here. So, I think I would rather even put Spencer on Devontae Graham in that situation versus Maxie. Um, or, I mean, I guess C.J. McCollum. I got the two misconstrued. Sorry. But, um, yeah, I mean, I'd rather put Spencer on him just from the fact that I, I don't think Maxie is going to be able to maintain that – pace in terms of having to guard up like that for oh, over the course of a whole quarter, especially in clutch time. Yeah, no, we saw multiple times where, and, and like you said, we, we, we talked about this like three times now where Maxi, whenever he gets switched onto these guys like CJ McCollum or Devontae Graham, you can at least leisure yourself a solid 10 seconds of switch defense. Like Maxi's really, really good at doing that. But like I said, being the primarily primary ball defender um, for those final six minutes or four minutes, whatever it was, we just like, you, we don't need that. Um, and there was multiple times last night where we saw CJ McCollum kind of attack the paint and he wouldn't do much outside of attack the paint and kind of pick up his dribble. And what that does is Reggie Bullock, um, I guess Reggie Bullock, Spencer Dinwiddie, like those kind of guys, they have to come and help on that because Maxi can't hold his own heat or not hold his own, but Maxi can't keep up with the speed of CJ McCollum. So he's already getting beat. And whenever McCollum picks up his dribble, that causes Reggie Bullock and the Spencer Dinwiddies to attack and down low, and that creates an open shooter. And we saw that multiple times last night where guys like Trey Murphy, Najee, I don't think Najee Marshall made any threes in the fourth quarter, um, but Trey Murphy, Devontae Graham, guys like that were getting wide open threes and even biting on ball fakes. Like there, there's a huge problem in this fourth quarter rotation. Uh, I don't know if it's time management. I don't know if it's rotation management. Uh, I don't know what it is, but like and again I mean we're in game three so I'm trying not to overreact here and I know I am um but through three games like minus the Memphis game so I guess two games we've really seen a lackluster rotation especially in this fourth quarter yeah I mean I understand you know Spencer was playing really good offensively in this game he was having really good isolation possessions not as much really as passing I thought you know, I said I tweeted this and I do think that this is there's some credence to this. I think Spencer's a really good shot creator and isolation score. But in terms of his playmaking, you know, in terms of guards, like I would definitely put him more so around that average um, echelon because he just tends to miss a lot of, you know, fairly easy pass and not even as much like, you know, sometimes he'll overthrow guys but it's, it's kind of just his negligence to be able to make the right pass. There were so many times in this game where Christian Wood would get a switch onto a smaller guard, have really good position in the uh, paint, have a guy sealed off like Devontae Graham or CJ McCollum, and Spencer would just blatantly miss him, particularly in that fourth quarter and then on Luka minutes. So, you know, from that perspective, I understand to an extent writing Spencer from how good he was shooting. He did have a really good shooting game, eight for 15 from the field, four for eight from three. But I mean, when it comes down to it, especially with how bad the Mavericks were playing defensively the, this game, 
should he have really been on the floor? Could you have, you know, bared to, you know, have Josh Green or Dorian out there for a couple minutes? Should they have been out there during that stretch? I mean, there's an argument to be made there. Obviously, Dorian and Reggie didn't really have the best defensive games in that one, in this one whatsoever. Um, they kind of just looked a little more lackadaisical, more so than usual. They were just getting beat off single dribble moves, something that we really don't see from them that much. You know, it could just be a one-off type of thing. But, you know, at the very least, I would think that I'd want at least one other wing defender, especially given the lineup that the Pelicans are running. Um, just kind of a five-out lineup, with, unless they had Larry Nance in there. And, you know, he's kind of their role man, but he can still shoot. They still have the ability to run five out. And, you know, you're, you have two guys who can attack um, in Devontae Graham and C.J. McCollum, and you literally have a big guarding C.J. McCollum at the top of the key. So I don't know. I mean, obviously Dorian played 35 minutes tonight, so it's not really a minutes thing. Um, Reggie played 35 minutes as well, but it's more so managing the rotation. So, you know, ideally you want to stick to one closing lineup if you can. You know, I understand it's fluid and contingent upon, you know, one guy maybe having a hot hand. You ride with him to an extent, but I don't think Spencer was having, you know, such a insane offensive game that, you know, you couldn't bear to give a few minutes to the wing guys until you could buy some time and get the lineup back to its original state and, you know, maybe get Dorian back in there for Maxi soon thereafter. I think that Spencer, you know, had a really good offensive game, but he should not have been, you know, in there at that juncture when Reggie or when Dorian Finney-Smith could have, you know, definitely helped tend to that problem despite how bad he was playing on defense last night, both him and Reggie. Yeah, no, I mean, without a doubt, like, like I mentioned, like, I, I just don't know if this is a time management kind of thing. I don't know if this is rotational uh, mishaps by Jason Kidd. Um, like, I mean, I don't really know. Uh, but yeah, like, like you mentioned, like having Spencer Dinwiddie in there whenever you have guys like Dorian on the bench. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Uh, Dorian, I don't think he checked in until like the final minute 30. And we usually see this guy play well into the fourth quarter. Um uh, pretty much the whole fourth quarter I can think of. Or, I mean, um, even from that standpoint, like, you don't even need to have – I mean, even if you want to keep Dinwiddie in for that uh, dynamism in terms of having another ball handler out there, like, you could have easily sub Maxi out. I, I do think that there is some credence to the fact that the Maxi-Christian Wood lineup does work. Like, I'm not negating that. But, you know, if you're in the last five minutes of a game, you want your best lineup out there, which all signs point towards our best lineup likely being – Spencer Dinwiddie, Luka Doncic, Dorian Finney-Smith, Reggie Bullock, and then Christian Wood. And, you know, sure, Reggie and Dorian were playing lackluster defensively last night, and they definitely didn't really have a good shooting game by any means, um, both of them from that standpoint. Reggie went one for eight on three – or one for six on threes. Um, but, you know, regardless, unless – I guess somebody else is really playing insane. Like I, I get Max, he did have a couple really good defensive possessions in this game, but I just don't know if that warranted him being out there in those minutes. Cause I mean, last six minutes of the game, uh, you know, I get that the Mavericks and technically within the last minute and 30 seconds closed with their best lineup, but you know, you want that lineup to ride throughout the whole six, seven, last six, seven minutes in the fourth quarter, not just the last, one minute and 30 seconds. So, you know, the Mavericks then pulled Christian Wood with about four or five minutes left. And then, you know, they brought back in Dorian for him. So then, you know, that kind of fixes your issue with Devontae Graham and CJ McCollum. But, you know, then you eliminate basically your second best offensive player all night, who honestly should have been out there at that juncture, but he had played like 10 straight minutes so what are you going to do with that stamp from that standpoint like you kind of have to give him a quick breather before he gets back in the game and that's the rotate rotational mishap that has so many Mavs fans on Twitter really pissed off at the Mavericks from the standpoint that Christian Wood you know had his minute you know he only played 29 minutes in this game um had his root had his minutes been managed better though maybe let's say he didn't have to play the end of the third quarter and whole start of the fourth quarter for the whole like first like eight minutes, he could ride out the last like seven to eight minutes. So, I mean, and Christian Wood starting would fix a lot of these things in terms of the whole rotation being a lot more synchronized and him being able to play more essential stretches against starting caliber players. 
um, versus having to take that little gap, I guess, in the fourth quarter. So what, what are your thoughts on that, particularly with how bad JaVale McGee played, which yeah. we'll get into here in a second? Yeah, no, um, I guess I, yeah, I forgot that Dorian kind of checked in with like four minutes left for Christian Wood in that scenario. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you brought up a good point, like would Christian Wood starting bring a more balanced kind of rotational minutes for this guy and, you know, kind of settle him into that final four to six minute stretch in the fourth quarter to where he can get subbed in for guys um like I can't maybe Josh Green uh, like whoever plays well into that like six minute mark in the fourth quarter um he can sub out for those kind of guys Maxi Kluber um but yeah I mean like yeah you brought up a good point there uh, and that's not really one that I kind of thought about whenever Christian Wood starts um you want to finish with your best lineup and I think right now the best lineup includes Christian Wood and we haven't seen him finish the game unfortunately and I, I feel like I hope especially after this kind of loss where a team is pretty battered up and not to take any credit away from the Pelicans, they played amazing. Uh, like, I think that's probably, probably their best game that they could have gave us with their three arguable best players out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, whenever you have a team that's supposed to be championship aspirations and they're losing to a team that's losing or that has their three best guys out, like, you have to put your best guys in. And I hope that this loss – really changes some things for Jason Kidd and the, the coaching stuff, because I mean, that's just kind of embarrassing having your second best player. I think this season so far, uh, not playing the final four minutes. Yeah. And I mean, I guess from the Mavericks coaching staff perspective, I guess the counter argument that they could bring up is, has there been too little time? It, have we not seen a big enough sample size? Does Christian Wood still need to prove something? So from that standpoint, who, in your opinion, do you think if Christian Wood was to start, would he replace? I, okay, like, there's multiple guys. I, I think, um, I mean, Reggie, like, not to say he hasn't played good, not to say he hasn't played bad. I think that he's a guy you have to consider, though, in this scenario. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie, I think, is a scenario that you have to consider. I don't think Spencer Dinwiddie is really in the realms of getting subbed out just because I feel like that starting spot – or not, not starting spot, but until we can fill that role – with kind of a better playmaker than him, I think that he has to stay in that starting spot. Uh, and then JaVale McGee, like, I think that that's the clear answer here. Um, and not taking anything away from JaVale, but like what we've seen the final three games and really in the Memphis game, it was kind of in spurts. Um, it's really been lackluster to start the season, like to say the least. Uh, it's It's been kind of cringy at moments, I won't even lie, especially in that Pelicans game where Jose Alvarado was cooking him uh, for I think he scored 13 points in the whole entire first quarter, and that's what he finished with. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, there's just moments in the game where JaVale McGee just doesn't even look bought in, and it's like your big thing is buying in. And it to me, it seems, it seems like Christian Wood is bought in, and so why don't you want that guy starting? No, I mean, I don't really have any issue with how JaVale has been producing offensively. I thought he's looked really good in the pick and roll with Luca. But obviously, defensively, you know, that's obviously where all the main gripes come. JaVale, you know, particularly, you know, just getting absolutely bodied by Valanchunas at times. Um, anytime he was in drop coverage and he got switched onto a guard at the last minute, he was just getting, you know, there was just no sort of mobile movement. I think he recovered on one block where he got CJ McCall and blocked it out of bounds besides that. He was just getting worked to death. I mean, I don't I want to take a look at actually what JaVale's plus minus was because I feel like it had to have been terrible. Um, yeah, if you could pull that up for me here momentarily. But I mean, JaVale just didn't really have any sort of defensive presence in this game, completely sold. I mean, in the first two games, you know, I don't really necessarily think JaVale was like a, like a net positive on defense, if that makes any sense. But I don't think that he was like overtly terrible. But in this Pelicans game, we just saw a whole different um, sort of JaVale McGee from the standpoint that he wasn't able to like contribute defensively whatsoever. He was just a complete net negative, was completely screwing over the Mavericks from that standpoint. Yeah, no, um, like I can't pull up the stats here. I don't, there's no ESPN uh stats or nba apps on here or stats um but yeah i mean like you bring up a good point it's where it seems like whenever javel's on the floor like it's really just a net negative at that point uh whenever guys like christian wood or uh i mean yeah really just christian wood like it's a complete positive it's a complete turnaround 
and really in this game, we saw that like in a, a much exaggerated way than I think we will throughout the whole season. Um, but yeah, I mean, like the team at one point was down like 17 or something and JaVale was in that whole entire time. And most of those points had come by paint. It seemed like whenever Christian Wood had checked in and I think the uh, Pelicans has kind of changed their, per- changed their personnel as well. But it kind of seemed like whenever Christian Wood checked in, it just that all went away and it, they were still scoring at an outrageous amount. Um, and not to take away, like they still scored paint points because uh, that's kind of where like the Mavericks hole is this season is inside the paint defending. Um, but yeah, I mean, like that kind of just seemed like it was a problem that the whole team was dealing with instead of one player whenever Christian Wood checked on the floor. Yeah, no, most definitely. And JaVale actually had a plus minus of the year. We were able to pull it up here. So we apologize about that. But, you know, obviously individual plus minus in a game is not a tell all by any means. But, you know, I would have expected him to actually have had like a much lower plus minus than that. But anyhow, no, I completely agree with what you said. I I mean, you just can't afford to have JaVale out there if this is the player that he's going to be. You know, do you think that this – is this any does this point to any credence to the fact that the Mavericks were really like preemptive in their decision to guarantee JaVale a starting spot? Do you think that that was a bad move by them? Or do you think that we need to see more and this is just one game so we can't really take anything away? I mean, it's uh, I, like I want to it's not been one game. It's been three. It's been like the whole season. Well, I don't um, think he's played this bad. No, not this bad. No. Yeah, not this bad without a doubt. Um, but I, I still think we need to see more before we can definitely like really, really mark him out um, like defensively. I, I think we just need to see more. Um, I mean, not to say it hasn't been a great start or anything like, or not to, not that, but like it's been a really lackluster start to start the season to say the least. Um, but yeah, I mean, I still think we need to see more. Like I think that this is going to be a problem that we have <clears throat> probably well into 15 to 20 games is what I'm guessing. And if JaVel McGee doesn't pick it up from there, like, you have to bear the question, like, is he, I, I think he's still a rotational piece at that point, just coming off the bench. But I mean, you have to bear the question, like, who's going to play over him? Because it seems like we have a pretty definitive rotation, a nine-man rotation um, with Christian Wood and uh, Josh Green, Maxi Kleber, and Tim Hardaway coming off the bench. Well, I mean, I think We're Christian just, Wood should definitely play over JaVale McGee. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, it, I think, I think, you know, for what it's worth, sure, Christian Wood, you know, you can make the argument that, Throughout his career, yes, he's not been the most bought in defensively. But, I mean, he has the physical tools. And I get Christian Wood is not optimally who I would want guarding opposing centers on most nights, you know, from the standpoint that I think he's actually a pretty good perimeter defender. And I think we've seen that through three games. I thought he had a good defensive game last night. And he's, you know, he's more of a weak side shot blocker, if anything, in terms of being able to guard fives. He's not um, on-ball defender that – I think bodes well for guarding fives in my opinion, but I will say that I think is how good he's playing offensively, especially with Luca. We're not even getting like a ton of Christian Wood Luca minutes together. It's primarily Dinwiddie and Christian Wood minutes together because he's playing a lot of these non Luca minutes when Luca's subbed out and what have you. So from that standpoint, I honestly think the positives on offense outweigh whatever negatives you have on defense, particularly with how JaVale's playing last right now, because JaVale's not giving you anything on defense at the moment for whatever reason, it could have just been an off night. But if, you know, if this continues to persist, you know, there's just no, there's no way that the Mavericks can keep starting JaVale and keep Christian Wood on the bench. I think you have to make that direct substitution. Yeah. And like to add to that, like if JaVale is playing hard and like, this is still happening, like that's one thing, like that's like Josh Green last season. Um, But to start the season, like JaVale just doesn't even look like he's really playing out there. Like he was promised, to our knowledge, he was promised one thing, and that's why he came to the Mavericks, and that was to start. And really, he hasn't even captivated that. Like, I think at some point, like, how much does playing a better guy over a guy – or, like, how much does promising a player in the offseason – like, how much does that play in effect? I think Christian Wood at this point, like, is well-deserving of that starting role. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like like I said, like, is this going to trickle, like, late middle of the season, like – late into the season is this going to be a problem that we're going to have and to me it just kind of seems like JaVale hasn't bought in I don't know if it's you know maybe the offseason struggles like he's still out of shape um because I mean we're three games in like I mean guys really aren't in shape shape. it just looks like he is like neglecting to move his feet almost I don't know what it is I mean he looks fine offensively I I don't quite understand what the issue is um 
But I guess besides that, um, you know, obviously JaVale was costly in terms of the Mavericks interior defense. Even in the 12 minutes he played, he gave up at least like 20 points in the paint, it seemed like. I don't know how much he actually gave up. But, I mean, that was a huge difference for the Mavericks in this game. So, I guess let's just go ahead and get into the actual game here. And now that we've sort of gone through our gripes on certain players, you know, obviously, you know, along with JaVale, I didn't think Reggie and Dorian had a good game defensively or offensively for that matter. They just didn't seem like them, their normal selves. I really don't know how else to put it. I think teams are starting to key in on Dorian a little more after, you know, have, he's had continued success shooting the ball in this league um, after a year or two now. I, I really do think that teams are actually looking at him as like a shooting threat and that's contributing to, I guess, his slower start to the season from three. But I think that we're definitely going to see those guys, um, you know, regress back to where they were at. I'm not really too concerned about them. I merely just think that they had an off night. But I guess barring that, what did you think of, if we're, I guess, looking at the positives, what did you think of um, Spencer Dinwiddie, Luca, and Christian Wood's offensive game um, in this game? Because I thought all three of them, you know, really carried the Mavericks in this game and, you know, did basically everything barring Luca, who I thought was really costly defensively. You know, I, I get some Mavericks fans might be mad that I'm saying that, but I really thought Luca had a rough night defensively, but, you know, obviously that's not to take away whatsoever from his 37 point, 11 rebound, eight, eight rebound. I mean, 11 rebound, eight assists seven. or seven assist game um, by any means. Like I thought Luca had one hell of a game offensively as he typically does, honestly, from start to finish, just the way that he was manipulating the pick and roll. I mean, just typical things that we always see from him. Um, but barring his three-point shooting, of course, he, I thought he took a little too much. He got a little too comfortable with the step-back three, but that could also be attributed to him, to him being a little banged up in this game. He kind of looked like he was getting hurt, and that may have been a reason he started to not be as keen to driving to the basket. But I, you know, I guess, you know, barring Luca's, I guess, really bad defense last night, what did you think of those three guys and how they were able to carry the Mavericks um, role players who didn't show up in this game. Yeah, no, I like there's no putting it past Christian Wood, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Luka Doncic. They all three played amazing. Uh, I think, you know, Luka Doncic's 37 points didn't come just from him. Like this was like actually one of the games where we saw two guys help him uh, offensively so he didn't have to carry the load. And still, I mean, 37 points on what I feel like isn't a full power Luka is just absurd to me. He shot over 50% from the field. Like, I I, st I don't think we're seeing full power Luca, and we're seeing him average, like, I want to say 34 or something like that in the season. We're three games in, but. I mean, I think he's starting out. He looks re in really good shape, but, you know, from the, I, I mean, I would definitely, like, reckon that this is, like, mid-season form Luca, in terms of how good of shape he is in. But, you know, I don't know, maybe if all the basketball intangibles are there yet from the standpoint that. I do think that, you know, in some of these games over the last, you know, three games start the season, he has started to settle for the three um, for the step back three a little bit when, but, you know, he's opening that up by getting in the lane, you know, countlessly over the course of a game. But I guess the only sort of gripe I have from Luca's game to start the season whatsoever would be that, you know, he's going away from attacking once he, if, you know, once Luca, you know, the reason he's has a league high in terms of his average of scoring in the first quarter is because he's using his ability to get into the paint and to be able to attack guys one-on-one -on -one, um, and getting to the rim. And that opens up, you know, guys having to guard him a little more attentively. And then he's going to, you know, obviously he has to, that's when you'll start to see him, you know, settle for some more of those step-back threes. I get that could be a stamina thing or whatever, but, you know, I guess my only gripe, if anything, to start the season for Luca would be maybe to just continue to attack over the course of the game, you know, just to even to lead to more kickout threes and, you know, more opportunities for him. Because, I mean, it didn't really seem like this Pelicans defense, particularly in the interior, was going to be able to stop Luca whatsoever, you know, when he gets in the low post, as you can make an argument, really not many people in the NBA can whatsoever. So, you know, but I, I, 
I get that that can be a lot of energy to expel over the course of a game. I'm not knocking him by any means. He's had a great start to the season and really killing it. But, you know, I guess if I had to point out one thing to criticize Luca to start the season, that would be it. Yeah, no, I mean, without a doubt, like we've seen multiple times this season already where Luca just kind of fizzles out. And I believe, you know, you bring up a good point. Like that's just to the lack of attacking as the game progresses. Last night was a little different, I think, because he kind of got banged up, whether it was his elbow or ankle. Uh, it seemed like he was grimacing like anytime he's going up the floor. And so from that point on, like I can understand a little bit more three point shot attempts. Um, but still, I mean, you know, Luca's bulk of his offense comes from attacking the paint. And we didn't really see that a whole lot in the second half. Now, I mean, Luca does an amazing job about doing that in the first quarters of pretty much every game he's played um, up to this point. But yeah, it, it's just a thing that I think we want to see either just more consistently or, you know, just throughout the game, we need to see it more. Uh, and again, I mean, that could be, like you had said, like, you know, just getting banged up. And as the game goes on, like, that's a lot of ener energy to exert. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, that's, like you said, like, that's really the only negative, I guess, that I've seen through Luca's game. And I, I agree with that. Um, now to speak to Christian Wood, I think still, like, we've seen, pretty much a perfect, I don't want to say perfect season, but a pretty much a perfect season from Christian Wood. Uh, defensively, he seems like he's locked in on this team. Offensively, we saw it last night where he's picking up a huge load and a bulk of those weren't even three-point attempts. I think he was three of three from the three-point line, um, eight of 10 from the field. Like we're just seeing this guy really bully um, anybody who's matched up on him, whether it's just shooting over him. Uh, he's kind of got like this LeBron, type thing where like he'll just look at you and then just pop off a three and it just goes in um and even down low you know he's shrugging guys I think it was Dyson Daniels maybe who he kind of did like a euro step on and that was like over or I don't think it was Dyson Daniels he did like a euro no, step it was over Dyson Daniels you're talking about Christian Wood yeah yeah not yeah. the one not the one where Dyson Daniels like tried to go for this uh charge it was like um no it was the Dyson Daniels again it was yeah. okay it was still Dyson Daniels. Yeah. euro step I mean Christian Wood I saw some people point this out on Twitter. He just looks really in control. He has really good, like, stability when he's operating within the interior. You know, you'd be – I guess some people would be kind of, like, remiss to admit that given that he's, I guess, on, like, the frailer side. I mean, he's not by any means, like, skinny, skinny. He's not Nerland. But, you know, Christian Wood, he plays stronger than he he looks, which, I, you know, I and he plays like a big man, and he also, you know, has the – ability to play on the perimeter if need be he's like definitely like a he's like a if you were making a 2k build he's like a like a slower bogged down but still like really effective like point forward is kind of what I would I mean and you know obviously what excites Mavs fans the most and I think us included is Christian Wood's ability to pass and play make within the short roll in the dunker spot you know, that was seen prominently within the Grizzlies game. You know, he didn't really have the opportunity as much here tonight. But, you know, that's obviously an area where, you know, he could really thrive for the Mavericks, particularly when our wings are hitting shots and we have, you know, guys cutting. That's another thing. You know, I saw the Pelicans have a lot of really good cuts tonight. I haven't seen the Mavericks, like, particularly, like, run too much cut action, um, which is I found really interesting. I'd like to see that in the second unit a little bit. I saw um, – Glenn Jr. on Twitter, he talked about Faku and Josh Green developing like a J.J. Barea, uh, Devin Harris type of cut game, which, I mean, just diversifying the offensive portfolio a little bit, particularly within that second unit would be nice because right now I just feel like, you know, as good as the Mavericks did play offensively last night, I felt like it was strictly Spencer Dinwiddie, Luka Doncic, and Christian Wood. Like there was no other – scoring besides that like there was just purely isolation and Luca and, and Dinwiddie uh two-man game with Christian Wood like that's it like it was whenever Dinwiddie or Luke whoever was the primary ball handler with Christian Wood you know that two-man game seemed to be basically the primary source of offense for the Mavericks or when Christian Wood wasn't in just Luca isolations so do you think that what do you what do you think of the Mavericks in terms of you know maybe a guy like Josh Green or I guess Faku Campazzo who made his offensive debut last night, or even Dorian, who, um, you know, 
could maybe be a little more assertive in terms of attacking off close ads. Do you think the Mavericks need a jolt of offense for many of those guys as we continue here in the season? Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, like the Mavericks need somebody to step up. I think as the offseason kind of progressed, we had the idea that this would be Josh Green. Uh, and not to say that we haven't seen that, you know, Josh Green has had a pretty efficient season. Um, I just think he needs more opportunities on offense. And we've seen kind of a I mean, lot. I think of he that. needs to be more assertive too. Josh Green, you know, he's played really good defensively to start the season, but he just hasn't really like, like he almost kind of like shies away from the moment on offense. Like he doesn't really seem like he's taking that step in terms of huh, like, let's try and see if I can use, you know, I have a possession on a smaller guard on me at the top of the key. Let's try and see if I can get to the rim. It seems like, you know, he, from that open practice we saw in training camp that Josh Green was more than willing to do that, but it seems now that we're in actual game action, it just seems maybe it's an inconfidence in his ability to do that. And, you know, if he can develop that, that would be huge for the Mavericks because the Mavericks need a guy who can contribute from the wing. You look at some of the Pelicans players, okay? The Pelicans stereotypical 3 and D players, and these are guys who typically wouldn't even start on a regular night. But you look at a guy like Najee Marshall or Trey Murphy the third. Obviously, they had really good games, but these were guys that were able to attack off closeouts and get in the lane and actually like have really good, like, you know, shot creation ability in terms of, you know, contrary to like normal 3D wings. Like they, they were able to actually, you know, make something happen in the lane. I mean, I'm not saying that there are any, they're not any like godsends in terms of their playmaking ability or that they are like, you know, would like be like a third ball handler on the Mavericks or anything like that. But these are three and D wings who can at least provide a little bit more on offense outside of their just stereotypical norm of shooting and playing defense. And I feel like the Mavericks really don't have any guys on this roster like that. And Josh Green's really the only guy who could be like that. And he doesn't seize it at least at this point in the season. Yeah, no. Uh, I mean, you bring up a good point where like these Pelican three and D type players are they're doing more than just being a shot three point or a, like a shooter. spot up shooter and playing defense like guys like Dorian guys like Reggie like they're expected to just do that like if they do any more than that then we're surprised to see that I think we're seeing like night in night out where and again I mean this might be because um Zion and Brandon Ingram and they're all out um but you know like we need I think we need to see maybe not more like maybe not like different styles from these guys, but I think Dorian and Reggie will just come with time. I think that they're just kind of, a but I mean, star. Reggie, Reggie's just, I mean, I feel like we have enough like tape from Reggie knowing that this is not a guy who's going to be able to, I mean, Reggie's not yeah, really Reggie, a guy who's going to attack off closeouts and make anything happen. I mean, he's just purely a spot up shooter. And I mean, that's, that's the Roy place. I mean, Dorian, I think he has a little bit of that ability. I'm not saying that he could be as good as maybe a Najee Marshall or a Trey Murphy from that standpoint, but he can definitely contribute in that aspect. But Josh Green has the most potential out of those, out of our, I guess, primarily out of our three quote unquote three and D wings right now to be able to seize an opportunity like that. And is that going to be a spot where I think the Mavericks may have to find a guy via trade to fill at some point? Um, I mean, whether it be this year or next season, I mean, yeah, like I think that every team needs, you know, one of those three, one of these three and D players who isn't just purely a spot up shooter. Cause you have to be able to keep the defense honest to an extent. You know, if you have one guy, like just one Reggie Bullock in your lineup, um, that's fine. You can have one guy who's just a pure three and D player. But I think that if you're going to run two wings like that, who, you know, two defensive wings in your starting lineup, one of those guys has to be able to do something offensively. And right now, Dorian and Reggie, both of them for that matter are, not doing anything outside of spotting up. No, yeah, without a doubt. Like, that was a good point you brought up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, back to the main topic, like, we need to see more out of these role players. And that's something that we haven't seen all season. Like, I, I really don't think we have. Uh, I mean, even just a jolt of offense by Maxi, whether it's, like, and, I mean, Maxi does his role really well. Like, Maxi is a given for that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, the Josh Greens, uh, the Dorian Finney-Smith, like, Dorian Finney-Smiths, like, can we get more out of those guys? Uh, that's the real question, I think, right now. And I, I hope it just comes with time. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Josh Green does bring up, like, some optimism in terms of can he be that. And I, I like how uh, – I forget who it was, but he had mentioned that on Twitter where maybe Composo and Josh Green will have this sort of, like, duo where they work off of each other. But I think Josh Green is a guy that we need to see more out of than just defense. 
um, I mean, he's, he's been efficient all season, but he just hasn't, like you had said, like hasn't asserted himself, hasn't really gotten the opportunities to be this offensive produ- producer like we all thought he would be at the start of the season. And at the end of the day, like you can argue that this is just a tough ask for these guys. Like are Dorian and Josh Green guys that really should even be asked to do this? Is that even their role in the NBA or do the Mavericks? Is this just a personnel issue? Do the Mavericks need another guy on the wing that can actually contribute from an offensive standpoint outside of just spot up shooting? I mean, that's, that's a valid question. Maybe these aren't the right guys. I mean, we could, could we see that via trade? I don't know. But I mean, I think these are questions that need to be asked. We have to hold this team accountable. Um, I guess we've basically covered everybody on the Mavericks, barring Composo, who played in this game. Um, Composo made a three in his debut. He had two steals off ball, which was nice because he doesn't contribute anything on ball defensively. Um, I guess my summation of Composo and his debut, you know, I don't know how much he's going to play given Tim Hardaway Jr. was out in this game. I think he'd mainly be in that rotational spot, but I think Composo definitely will get some spot minutes at times. Um, it, it's fun, exciting to see him when he's out there to an extent, but, you know, obviously he's a lackluster defender just given his size. I mean, he tries hard. I think Composo at his very best could be kind of like J.J. Barea, but he doesn't have that. I don't think he has quite the playmaking ability, wit, and intangibles like J.J. had. You know, I think he he's like a lesser version of him, so – you know, if, if Composo can come provide a jolt of offense from time to time, that would be nice. But, you know, you see when you play him in these elongated stretches, he definitely starts to fizzle out and his shot starts to become redundant. So, you know, he went one for four, made a, made a pull-up three or whatever it was off the dribble three, whatever you want to call it. Um, but barring that, I mean, nothing really good or bad from him in this game that I took, but – you know, can't he play in spot minutes when the Mavericks offense is really dogged down and you need a guy to come play some, you know, fill that playmaking void, especially, you know, given what we literally just talked about regarding the Mavericks wings, like, yes, but this is not obviously a guy that, especially given the defensive liability that he is, that I'd like to have out there consistently. I mean, you look at J.J. Brea, at least, you know, given his defensive liability, he was still really good at taking charges, being in the right place at the right time, doing what he could at his size. And, I mean, Composo tries. I give him that much. But um, I, I, I simply think that, you know, he's just not near of as much of an offensive threat as J.J. Brea was, and hence why, you know, it's not as, like, imminent that we need him, that his minutes are, like, really going to just take this Mavericks, like, third playmate, playmaker position to – a level where any like in any realm that we would like just be like oh we don't need to make a trade anymore yeah no like I, he checked into the second quarter and like you said like he didn't really do much uh like not really any positives not really any negatives to take away from this game like he checked into the second quarter late into the second quarter and didn't really do anything uh and then i, I want to say he checked in like middle of the third and we got to see some like spark plug type minutes from faku uh and that quickly i think fizzled out whenever he took <laughs> like a handful of bad shots. Uh, some of them given we're at the end of the shot clock, but needless to say, like, I think there's, you know, if you're f- trying to find a guy who's on, like this quote unquote b- backup ball handler, like that's, you can't really fill that in with Faku. Uh, you know, he had some spark plug type minutes, like I said, you know, two steals, a three to go with that. Uh, but, and two assists, like one nice assist to um, Josh Green, where he kind of had a fumble, to get the um, layup off, but needless to say, he got it off and it kind of looked kind of cool, but like, again, I mean, like you said, like this is going to be a guy you see spot minutes in. He's not going to really play rotational minutes uh, bearing that everybody's healthy uh, and clearly Tim Hardaway wasn't tonight. So is he going to get minutes? I really don't think so because he kind of filled in that Tim Hardaway role. Um, But I mean, like you said, like it was kind of excited to see him or uh, kind of exciting to see him. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I didn't really see anything out of Faku that looked too alarming other than like his size and like him being basically a defensive hole. But I mean, um, we knew that. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like we knew that exactly. Yeah, like, like, it wasn't anything surprising essentially. So no, I agree with you, but from that standpoint, um, you know, I, I know a lot of mass fans are going to start clamoring for Jaden Hardy minutes, particularly if, you know, Faku is continues to be very average out there. Um, so we'll have to kind of see how that goes. I mean, I hope he gets an opportunity, but. 
you know, even in garbage time of that Grizzlies game, we, you know, he definitely didn't play well. I mean, we'll have to see. So, you know, I, I would, needless to say, though, you know, if I had a preference, I would like to see some Jaden Hardy minutes, but I'm not going to clamor for it in a game that the Mavericks lost by two points. Not like that would have made a difference. So um, I guess if, you know, before we end the podcast, let's go ahead and get to the Pelicans um, before we end the podcast, of course. So basically the Pelicans had seven guys or eight guys in double figures. I just want you to talk about how well-rounded this team is and what particularly gave the Mavericks so much trouble on defense last night. Yeah, no, like clearly this team has gotten off to a hot start. I thought, you know, with Zion, with Brandon Ingram, Herb Jones all out, I figured that this would be a a game that the Mavericks could jump on uh, and get to improve to two and one on the season. Um, But I mean, after this game, I will admit, I think New Orleans is like for real built for a championship kind of roster like this, or this is a championship kind of roster like this team is really deep uh if Zion can stay healthy in my opinion yeah no I mean I mean still like th- this is a 12 man if you're considering everybody who played tonight uh even Jackson Hayes like everybody who played tonight and still the hurt guys like this is a 12 man deep rotation that's like everybody can contribute something like we saw last night like the leading score had 22 points and Jackson Hayes was the only Pelican who didn't score a point and didn't get him to double figures. Um, I, again, I mean that like Mavericks played terrible defense, but I think that speaks to how deep this New Orleans team is. No, I mean, like you look at this Pelicans team, you get a guy in Larry Nance that really good roller rim runner. And also, you know, he's obviously a little undersized, but can guard three through five. Excellently. Um, he had 11 points last night, drained a three. I thought, he gave the Mavericks issues at points. Devontae Graham kind of had an off-shooting night, but he caught, you know, every basket he did make was a three. And obviously he had some, you know, late threes that really deterred the Mavericks, you know, took clearly what we started, you know, we started the podcast off with that whole Maxi and Reggie Bullock rant with, you know, having Maxi on CJ McGollum and Reggie having to overcompensate and come help and Devontae Graham getting left open for threes a lot, you know, Fonte Graham may not be the best playmaker, but I mean, you can't deny that he's a bad off the, like he's your third guard in this rotation. Kyra Lewis Jr. Wasn't, I don't even think he suited up last night. Um, I don't really know what's going on with him, but I mean, the Pelicans have like four, like, like solid rotational guards. I mean, no other way to put it. I mean, like they're, they're stacked from that standpoint. I mean, you can even consider Brandon Ingram a shot creator, Obviously, I mean, I would. Um, and, you know, I thought, and Jose Alvarado out, obviously, like, you know, just these Devontae Graham, like, these are not particularly, like, big guys by any means or or guys that, you know, would give the Mavericks any trouble on defense whatsoever. But in terms of the other side of the ball, they just pick the Mavericks to shreds, um, attacking the Mavericks bigs and drop and just – getting to the rim at will and, you know, any switch, they were just seeing that the Pelicans were punishing the Mavericks from three. I mean, there is credence to the fact that the Pelicans did have a really good shooting night and, you know, that can be, they like, they went 12 for 27 on three. I mean, they slowed down to an extent, but they shot 57.9% from the field in this game. So they did have a really good shooting night, but I mean, they slowed down to in the second half. It's not like they just stayed like 80% the whole game, like they were in that first half. So, you know, I don't, I mean, even CJ McCollum, he went six for 20. He didn't even have the best game, but he caught fire a little bit in the fourth quarter, made a tough three and a tough step back jumper over Maxi. And I mean, that was enough to just give him a little bit of a jolt because, you know, like we said, Trey Murphy in this game, eight for eight, 22 points, um, four for four from three. I mean, the Mavericks don't have a three and D wing who can do anything like that. And this isn't even a guy that starts for them typically. Najee Marshall, a guy that a lot of people around the league probably haven't even heard of. I mean, he looked really good to me. You know, I mean, given that Luca was just giving him anything, um, he looked really lackadaisical on defense, and he kind of just let Najee Marshall, you know, get in the lane. He picked the Mavericks apart with backdoor cuts, but, I mean, he looked really good. Um, Valanchunas, I thought, played a pretty steady game. You know what you'd expect, 13.7 rebounds. Nothing nothing insane, but, 
I mean, he played, he played steady and, you know, we talked about this before the pod started, but, you know, he's progressed a lot in terms of his ability to be mobile and, you know, guards some of these smaller guys. I thought he was a lot more slow footed back in his Toronto days, but he's definitely progressed a lot as a player. And, you know, in terms of being, I definitely say he's, you know, one of the only traditional centers in the NBA, quote unquote, that can actually play, you know, contributing minutes and not get played out of the game. So, you know, I really like him. Um, you know, Dyson Daniels, the rookie, came in. He went four for five from the field, looked insanely good defensively. Oh, three steals, one block in 22 minutes, and he just seemed like all over the place. This is, I mean, this is a guy who I think is, I mean, that's a steal that they got at number eight. This, this Pelicans team is just so deep, especially on the wings. Um, Dyson Daniel, I mean, I, that's a guy that projects, I mean, as a guy who's, he's going to be able to split some of the playmaking duties in the future. He's he's going to be a really good shooter, in my opinion, at some point in his career. You know, I know that's maybe a part of his game where he's going to have to work on the NBA level quite a little bit. But, I mean, in terms of a playmaking shot creation standpoint, I mean, I mean, defensively, this guy doesn't even need to be questioned. I mean, I think he's one of the better defenders on the Pelicans roster already at this point, you know, outside of Herb Jones and Trey Murphy. I mean, this is a, just a really well-rounded team overall, and they didn't even have their best three players last night. Yeah, without Arguably. a doubt. Yeah. Like, or, I mean, okay, best three. They didn't have, even have three, three of their, of their best, best starters. Best four players, yeah. Yeah, I'd put probably put CJ a little above Herb Jones. We're just doing tier rankings. But, you know, it, it's just the Mavericks had an opportunity to win this game. And like you pointed out before the podcast started, they may not have an opportunity to beat this Pelicans team again if the Pelicans continue to persist in terms of how good they're going to be because the Pelicans are hitting on their draft picks. They're – you're hitting on guys like Trey Murphy, Najee Marshall, uh, Dyson Daniels. Uh, the Mavericks simply have not had the draft capital nor the means to do that. I mean, you know, obviously you can point blame at the Nelson regime for them kind of just giving up on the draft. You know, Nico Harrison really hasn't had much opportunities to prove himself in the draft this far. But just in terms of his organization, the Mavericks have not been able to get guys like this through the draft. And, you know, the one guy that they kind of do have right now, Josh Green, um, I wouldn't say is currently on the level of a Trey Murphy, a Herb Jones, a Dyson Daniels, by any means, as much as I like Josh Green and I think he projects. So, I mean, the Mavericks, you know, they have to hit. This kind of goes, I don't want to go too deep into this and get into big overarching themes, but hitting on draft picks is important. And the Mavericks, in a sense, have had quite a big organizational failure from that standpoint over the last 10 years. And, you know, if the Mavericks, if they can't get some development out of some of these guys and if Tim Hardaway Jr. continues to regress and is having a bad season like he did last year. I mean, the Mavericks are going to be hard-pressed to find a good trade that's going to be able to positively impact this team uh, going forward. But, you know, it is only three games in. Let's not be too rash in our overreactions, I guess. So my bad there. But, you know, definitely, um, needless to say, it was it was a pretty, like, degrading loss. It just exploited a lot of holes on this Mavericks team, in my opinion. You know, they could easily come out against the Nets who are going to be on – a second out of a back-to-back on Thursday and, you know, come and demolish them. But just, it was just, I don't know, like a really rough, like very exploitive game from the Mavericks. Like, like I said. Yeah, no, it's, um, I don't think there was any question as to offense of production. Um, Like, again, I mean, I think you could ask more out of your rotational guys. Um, It's defense, you know, and I, I know that, Jason Kidd strives himself on this defensive roster. Um, and I, I don't think it's an understatement to say we have seen zero defense this season. Uh, like, seriously, from – I think the Suns game was a little different, I thought, and the Memphis game. Like, Memphis was battered up. Like, I, I don't think you can really put too much credence there. The Suns game, they got off to a slow start. Like, th- this, is, I think, was the real first game that the Mavericks have played where – That's a good point. The, I mean, defense just – it looked non-existent through two quarters and that two quarters was enough to give the Pelicans a win with a beat up roster. Yeah. Uh, I would, uh, I would concur. It was, it was a rough one in this game, but uh, anyhow, I, I don't really have any more to uh, say about the Mavericks. I guess we, at this point, we just move on, look forward to the next game. We'll see what happens. Mavericks play Brooklyn. Like we said, he's going to be on the second night of a back-to-back Thursday night in Brooklyn. So I assume that's probably a six thirty time start time, but I'll have to check to make sure. Um, we'll have full coverage for that for you guys over here at mainstream uh, underscore Mavs on Twitter. 
follow us on our um or subscribe to us on apple Podcasts or spotify whatever you're listening on we're available on all uh, podcast platforms give us a five-star rating if that's applicable um if you guys really enjoy us um and hit us up on twitter if you guys have any questions inquiries we love engaging with you guys and growing with you guys and we really appreciate you guys listening this far on the podcast um and i with if you don't have anything else um we will see you guys in the next one bye bye